said, everywhere we go today, there are signs. We are inundated with signs. There are signs along the side of the road. There are signs on buildings. There are signs in buildings. There are signs at parks to let you know how to enjoy yourself there and what not to do and what you can do. There are signs on our clothing. We call them labels, but they're signs. There are signs on appliances, on machinery, on furniture. There are signs everywhere, and they are providing information that we need to consider before we progress any further. In fact, what we said last week is that signs warn us, signs regulate us, signs guide us, direct us, inform us. Signs stop us, they make us yield. Signs can even locate where we are. So we need the information that signs provide. But there's another thing that signs do. Signs annoy us from time to time. How many of you have ever been annoyed by the information on a sign? So we've all been there. We don't necessarily want to hear the information that signs provide for us. We're making good time. We don't want to be bothered with a speed limit sign. We don't want a construction sign. We get annoyed with some of the information. In fact, I got to tell you this. This is so funny, and it was only God, you know. But last week after this service, I left, and I went out to my car. Now, many of you know where I park. I park up in that upper uh, parking lot. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but over a year now, the township has been doing some work on Blackwood Clementon Road, digging up pipes and replacing things. And some of the businesses along this street have had to uh, have an impact because some of the things needed to be dealt with. And our church had to have some things dealt with. And there were three areas that they had to dig up. One of them was up front. The other two were in that upper parking lot, and one of them was in the space that I prefer. It's not designated, but there is a spot that I always look for, and it was there. And then there was one directly behind my car as well. And they dug it up, and they haven't really patched it well, so they put warning cones in both of those areas so that you won't go too far. Well, the one in my parking space is far enough up that I can still park in that space with no issue. But the one behind me makes it really difficult to back up. I can, but I really should back up one way and go around. I was in a hurry last week, and I wanted to go the way I wanted to go. So I got in the car, I put it in reverse, and of course I got a backup cam on my car, and I could see the warning cone behind me, and I said, I got this, no problem, I, I can do this, and so I started backing up, and I'm watching it in the camera, and it goes out of sight, so I figured I missed it completely. Put it into drive, I could hear it dragging under the car, I'd run right over it, So I got out of the car, I'm embarrassed, and sure enough, the cone is there, and I can feel my face getting red, and to add insult to injury, someone from this service that is here today that I'll leave nameless saw the whole thing going on, rolled down his window and yelled out, so much for the warning signs, Pastor Kurt. I mean, that is just God setting me up for this week. I mean, it's just real. But isn't that really how it is with us? We just think that sign is not for me. I am justified. I can do it. 
I can make it on my own. So we just ignore the signs that we find inconvenient and we move on. But folks, you know, you can't ignore these signs. Some of these signs, if you ignore them, they could actually be fatal. You can't afford to ignore all of these signs. Because these signs are there to stop us long enough to say, hey, there are some things ahead that you need to consider. You can't see right now, but there are things in the future that could harm you, that could injure you. So before you move forward, before you make that left, before you make that right, before you speed up, before you put that together, before you use it, before you wash this, before you clean that, please consider this information. Because there are hidden dangers and there are perils that you cannot see that you need to at least consider before you make the decision to progress any further in your life. Well, what is true for physical signs is true also for spiritual signs. Just as there are physical signs to help us navigate through the physical world, there are spiritual signs that are there to help us navigate through our walk with God. And these signs many times emerge in our walk with the Lord, in our journey with Jesus Christ. And the reason that we have these signs from God is for the same reason we have these physical signs. These spiritual signs are there to warn us, to regulate us, to guide us, to direct us, to inform us, to stop us, to make us yield, to even help us locate where we are presently with the Lord. But... Just as it is with the physical signs, many times we are annoyed with spiritual signs. Because we, doesn't, we don't always want to hear the information that these spiritual signs are providing. Let's be honest, most of us have already pretty much laid out our lives. We know how we're going to live. We know how we're going to respond. We know who we're going to marry, the, the career path that we're going to choose, even how we pursue the heart of God. We've already determined how we're going to worship God. We've already determined how it's going to be without even going to God's word and seeing if it's God's way. We've already laid it out for us and we get moving along and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, starts coming these signs that are warning us we're in a dangerous path. And because it annoys us, because it's frustrating to us, because it would mean that i got to go in a totally different direction, we tend to do just what we do with these signs. We ignore them. That'll never happen to me. This is the way it's going to be. And so we proceed and we press forward with no thought of what lies ahead and completely ignore the warning signs. Well, can I tell you that if you ignore these signs, it always ends in disaster. If you ignore these spiritual signs, you're going to have to contend more with backing into a warning cone. You could be literally putting your eternal soul in jeopardy. You see, what we said last week is that no one just suddenly ends up in an affair. No one just suddenly ends up wrecking their life. No one just suddenly wakes up ruining their future. No one just wakes up one day and suddenly arrives at financial ruin. No one just suddenly ends up wrecking their reputation. You may have arrived there suddenly, but trust me, you were on that road a long time before disaster struck. You just chose to ignore 
the warning signs. Proverbs chapter 27 in verse number 12 says, A prudent and far-sighted person sees the evil of sin and hides himself from it. But the naive or the simple continue on and are punished by suffering the consequences of sin. The only difference between these two individuals is that the prudent and far-sighted person heeded the warning signs along the way and hid himself from the evil of sin he saw coming. But the naive, the simple one, convinced themselves that it would never happen to them and they continued on that path until they were punished by the suffering of the consequences of sin. Folks, We need to heed these warning signs because they're telling us we're falling away from the Lord. And the reason that this is so important is first because the Bible makes it very clear that the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more frequently the falling away from the Lord is actually going to be. That as we draw closer to the coming of the Lord, there is going to be a greater falling away from the faith. The second reason that this is so important is because it can happen to any of us in this room. No one is immune from falling away from the Lord, which is simply to say that if you're sitting there right now and you're just saying, that could never happen to me. I, I am tight with the Lord. I mean, he and I are like this. And there is nothing that would draw me away from the Lord. He is more important to me than anyone else or anything else in this world. Oh, listen to the word of the Apostle Paul. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The book of Proverbs says that pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Don't let anyone in this room be deceived into thinking that they cannot fall away from the Lord because as you're going to learn in the future in this series that all it takes is one day to actually begin to develop an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. We need to always be alert at all times. And what's interesting, as I said to you last week, is that there is one letter in the New Testament that deals almost exclusively with this particular issue. You know it as the book of Hebrews, but really it is not a book, it is a letter. 2,000 years ago, someone, and we really do not know who it was, some people believe it was Paul, some think it could be Barnabas, some believe that it could be a man named Apollos that we read about in the book of Acts, but the reality is we don't know who wrote this letter, but someone sat down and wrote a letter to a small house church that was located in or around Rome in 70 AD. This house church comprised mostly of Jewish men and women who had received Christ as their Messiah, their Savior, and their Lord. But at this particular time, it was tough and it was rugged to be a Christian. Because many of you that know your history know that there was widespread rampant persecution that was filling the empire at that time. And as a direct result, Christians were receiving the brunt end of that persecution. And when we talk about persecution, we're not talking about someone laughed at them because they were praying for their meal before they ate it. We're talking about real persecution. These men and women were, in many cases, being imprisoned. They were, in some cases, being martyred. 
their families were being divided. Their possessions were being confiscated. They were being publicly humiliated. They were being excommunicated from the Jewish synagogue. So the pressure was really on. And as a direct result of that persecution, many of the Christians in that particular house church were considering abandoning the faith altogether and returning to Judaism, or at the very least, mix the two together so that they could alleviate some of this pain. And I'm sure that they could justify it. And I'm sure that they could rationalize it and say, well, God understands my situation. But the author of Hebrews knew there was no justification. That there was no rationalization. That they were actually falling away. And so he sat down and he wrote this letter to them. And he wrote this letter to say to them, listen, you've gotten your eyes off the ball. Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies, all of the types and the shadows of the Old Testament. He is the plan of salvation that we have been waiting for. And if you ignore him, you do so to your own eternal peril. And he writes to them about the necessity of remaining in Christ no matter what the cost, no matter what the price may be. That it may even cost you your life, but I would rather go into eternity with Christ as my Savior than to enter into eternity having fallen away from the only hope of redemption. What's beautiful is that interwoven into this incredible letter are five warnings Signs that men and women are beginning to fall away from the Lord. And over the next five weeks, we're going to look at all five of these warnings in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to examine them. Because we want to be able to discern and recognize these warning signs in our lives. Because I fear that there may even be some among us this morning. You're falling away from the Lord. You know... You can fall away from the Lord in church maybe more easily than you can outside in the world. Because when you're in church, you feel like, well, I'm doing something. But you can fall away from the Lord worshiping Jesus on Sunday morning. You can fall away from the Lord preaching every Sunday morning. At some point, it can be just the appearance of godliness But the power of a real relationship with God is missing. And I fear, especially in this country, that we have a form or appearance of godliness, but the power of that relationship is sadly missing. And we want to be able to recognize these signs so that the moment we're beginning to drift, we recognize it and we'll understand we've got to come back to the Lord. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Because if he is not Lord of everything, then he is not Lord at all. So, with that in mind, let's begin. You know, when I'm at the shore, I am one who really does not like to stay on the beach for that long. I don't know if you're like me. When I go to the shore... I am not one that likes to stay on the beach. I can lay on the beach for about an hour. And then after that, I get really fidgety. I got to be up. Anybody like me? How many of you are not like me? Some of you. How many of you could lay on the beach for hours and hours? Yeah, it's the same way in the first service too. Okay, you're all just lazy. (laughs) 
But I mean, seriously, when I'm laying on the beach, I just get fidgety. Kathy will tell you, I got to be up. I'd rather be in the water. I'd rather be swimming. I'd rather be on a board and riding the waves. I just like that activity. And I really enjoy, this might be hard for you to believe, but I love swimming. I just love being in the water. And, and so I can't really lay there that long. And what's amazing is that inevitably I'll get so caught up in swimming and having fun that I am oblivious to the fact that I've drifted far from where I originally entered in. How many of you have ever noticed that? You just get caught up in what you're doing and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, where is everybody? You've drifted that far away. Well, can I tell you that what happens on the beach can happen in life as well? I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but I was thinking about it this week. There is a current that is in the world today. There is a flow naturally that is in the world. And if you're not careful, you can get so caught up in the current of this world that it literally takes you further, faster than you ever thought possible. You know where you see that mostly is in relationships. You can see that drifting in relationships. In fact, I was thinking over the weekend about the friendships that we formed in our high school years in particular, and even in college. How many of you made some really, really good friends in high school or college? Let me see your hands. You're just lifelong friends. And you really were devoted to each other, and you spent a lot of time together, and then inevitably came graduation. And maybe a week before graduation or a couple of days before graduation, you had that conversation. You are my best friend. I don't know how I made it through college without you. I, I know I couldn't have done it. I, I love you. You're a brother to me. You're a sister to me. And I need this relationship. And so no matter what, no matter where we go, we are going to stay in touch we're going to stay connected and we're going to meet. Maybe we can meet once a year some way and, and spend a weekend together because I just have such a connection with you. I can't afford to lose this relationship. And that lasted for about a week, maybe a year, okay? And then all of a sudden, you got married. And then you had kids, and then you had responsibilities. And before long, you woke up one day and you said, man, I haven't talked to him in 30 years. I haven't talked to them in 20 or 25 years. And Facebook doesn't count, folks, okay? Because I know some of you think that's, a, that's the thing. But that doesn't count. It's been 30 years or more since you ever really were, were with them. And it used to be that you couldn't go a day without spending a, a time with them. But now it's been four, 40 years, 30 years since you've actually been with them. What happened? Well, you got caught in the current of life. And before you knew it, you had drifted apart. Well, can I tell you? that that can even happen in your relationship with God. That you can have a wonderful, deep relationship with the Lord and then all of a sudden find yourself drifting away from Him. In fact, that is the very first warning that the author of Hebrews gave to these followers of Christ living in or around Rome. 
So if you have your Bibles, you can go with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse number 1. If you don't have your Bible, that's all right. The Scriptures are up on the screen, but I would prefer if you had a Bible to open it up to, again, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, where the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. The very first sign that your relationship with the Lord is heading into perilous territory is drifting The very first sign that you are in a perilous position is drifting away from the Lord. Now before I go into this, let me ask you, what does drifting mean to you? When you think of drifting, what do you think of? Or let me ask you this, how do you drift from the Lord? If I were to ask you for examples of how you drift from the Lord, how would you actually go about describing how someone drifts from the Lord and what are the signs that they are drifting. I I found that word very interesting because when I approached it this week, I was convinced. I had been taking notes for the several weeks leading up to this series, just kind of preparing my heart for it. And I was convinced that when I really sat down to put my thoughts together, that I would be able to come up clearly with some examples of drifting. But as I went through it, I realized that that wasn't quite as easy as I thought it was. Drifting is a very interesting word, and it was a word back in that day that was used in many applications, but primarily it was used in the nautical world. And that really seems to be with the text, because as he talks about drifting, he certainly is thinking of a piece of wood or a ship or even a person drifting in the water. And as I began to study it out, I discovered that it was a word that was used to refer to a ship in those days that was carelessly, that's an important word, carelessly allowed to drift past the harbor because the pilot had forgotten to attend to steering or... He had forgotten to chart the wind, the tides, and the current. So it's not that this individual didn't see the port coming. It's not that he didn't see the harbor coming at all. He was aware, but he just didn't attend to steering properly, or he didn't chart out the speed of the winds, the current, and the tide. And so by the time he started to turn, it was already to a place of of no return. It was too late to come back. It is the carrying the idea that although the pilot saw the harbor or the port, rather than taking precautions and making arrangements to dock, they carelessly just allowed the ship to pass on by. It didn't sneak up on him. The pilot was very aware of the dock, but the pilot said, I got plenty of time. I got this. I know when to turn. But he never considered how swift the current was. He never considered how fast the wind was blowing. He never considered the tides rising or lowering. So he never took any of those things into account. So by the time he started steering, it was already too late. And he passed right by the safety of the harbor. And this is the word that the author of Hebrews used here when he spoke to these Christians Because he saw them drifting from the Lord. 
He said, you're carelessly allowing your souls to drift right past the Lord. You're ignoring the signs of impending danger and you refuse to take any precautions and make the arrangements that are necessary to fix yourselves in Jesus Christ. You see him, you know what he requires of you, but in your mind you think, I got plenty of time. I can write this anytime I want to. I can steer in, I'll be okay. But you never took into consideration how fast the current of this world was carrying you. And by the time you wanted to come back to the Lord, you realized it was too late to come. Let's be honest, all of us, All of us, at times, and maybe even now, have found ourselves or find ourselves drifting from the Lord. And i got to be honest, I've been walking with the Lord for a better part of 40 years. And over the years, I have found that there is nothing more frightening than that moment when you wake up and realize, I'm drifting from the Lord. I've been so busy doing life that I have completely ignored the fact that I've drifted right on by him. Listen, as I said a moment ago, life has a current that naturally drifts away from God. Life has a current that naturally is tailing away from God Almighty. You need to realize that. And therefore, you must be intentional, deliberate about your relationship with Him, lest you drift away as well. You need to realize that even if you are not discerning enough to sense it, there is a current that is in this world. Thankfully, once a week, we can come in here and we can resist the current. But the moment you step out there, the world is got a current and it's moving away from God. And if you are not intentional and deliberate about your relationship with God, you're naturally going to drift away from Him. Every morning, a believer has to get up and commit themselves to literally swimming upstream, to paddle against the current, because if you're not intentionally fighting the good fight of faith, you'll drift right away from the Lord. You know, as I was studying these things the other day, the thought occurred to me, it is much easier to define drifting than it is to describe what drifting looks like. Some of you may think that that would be easy too, but stay with me for a moment. It's easier for me to define drifting than it is for me to describe what drifting looks like. And the reason is because it is so subjective. It is is depending upon your perspective. In fact, the reality is, as I'm talking about drifting today, there are some of you that have automatically, because of your perspective because of your own subjectivity, have said, I'm not drifting. You don't even recognize that you are. Let me, let me give you this illustration, because I think it helps at least get the idea of where I'm going. Let's say that a wife comes home one afternoon, and she puts together her husband's favorite meal. She hires a babysitter. She sends the children to the babysitter because she wants her and her husband to just have a nice candlelight dinner alone. 
He comes home. They sit down, have a wonderful evening together, a wonderful meal. And when it's all over, the wife turns to her husband and she says, Honey, the reason I wanted us to be alone tonight is because I want us to talk about something that has really been disturbing me. Listen, I love you and you know I love you. And I know that you love me. And we have shared a lot of life together. But honey, I've got to be honest with you. Over the last few months, I can't help but feel that we're drifting apart. We're still home. We talk. We laugh. We're sharing life. But that passion and that intimacy that we once had is gone. And in spite of the fact that we're still talking and there's no outstanding issue, I just feel like we're drifting apart from each other. And all of a sudden, the husband has a bewildered look. And he looks at his wife and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm more devoted to you today than I was when we first got married. I don't understand what you mean. We're drifting apart. And all of a sudden, there's this disconnect between husband and wife because they're looking at the same marriage... They're evaluating the same conversation. They're evaluating the same activity. Yet the wife sees them drifting apart. And the husband sees them more devoted to each other than ever before. And I can guarantee you, if you and I were to look at one individual, we would never do this. So understand that I'm just using this as an illustration. But we were to key on one individual. I could look at them at their present state and say they're drifting away and you would say oh no they're devoted to the lord oh they love the lord it's perspective it's very hard to identify that and that is true even in our relationship with almighty god you know i uh, i don't know where all of you are with the lord All I can do is stand before you every Sunday and Wednesday and present to you the word of God and pray that you're sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life and the willingness is there to accept what God is saying and really make the adjustments. But there are some of you, obviously, that I have gotten closer to through the years. And there are times as a pastor where the Lord will put someone on my heart and I'll look at them and I'll know that they're drifting away. I'll know it. And I'll go to them when the opportunity is right. And I would never go up to them and say, hey, you're drifting. You know, I would do that if the Lord actually wanted me to do it that way. But I'm not going to typically do that. What I would probably do is go up and say, hey, you've been on my heart lately. Seems like every time that I've been praying, the Lord brings you before me. How are you doing What's going on? Is everything all right? And there is nothing more discouraging in a pastor's heart than when that individual looks back at you and says, well, pastor, you know what? There's always room for improvement. You know that. But everything's great. I'm praying. I'm reading the Bible. I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. And yet, you know within your heart that as they read and they study and they pray, they're drifting away from the Lord. Because I'm going to tell you, folks, reading the Bible does not make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. What are you doing with what you read? 
Praying does not make you a disciple of Christ. Are you listening to what God is saying to you in prayer? Folks, listen, you can go through all of the religious things and still be drifting away from Christ. And I have seen men and women harden their heart with their hands lifted up on Sunday morning. The problem is, is that they've been drifting so slowly and so long that they are now immune to the condition that they find themselves in. Here's what happens. They're adjusting, they're adapting to they're falling away. When you jump into a very cold pool, initially it just takes your breath away. It's cold. But if you stay in it long enough, your body adapts. Did the temperature change? No. You just adapted to it. Some of you have just adapted to the fact that your heart has grown cold towards God. You know, my dentist has a computer-controlled Novocaine system. I don't know how many of you have ever had this, but it has made going to the dentist much more relaxing, okay? Gone are the days with those horse needles. How many of you remember those needles that they brought out to inject Novocaine into your mouth. You know, just I, I think back of my childhood when the dentist would come in with the shotgun of a, of a needle to drive in to freeze my mouth, and it just was, you know, even now I get panic attacks when I think of it. When I go to my dentist and I have to have a cavity replaced or something like that, the needle is like that. It's how big it is. It's attached to a wand that goes into a pump that is all regulated by the computer. And literally, it is pain-free. He'll say, now you may feel a little pinch. And when he says a little pinch, that's all it is. You know, in in the medical field, when the doctor says you're going to feel a little pinch, buckle up, baby, because you're going through the roof. I mean, isn't that the truth? You're going to feel a little pinch. You know, (laughs) that's just the way that it is. But when he says it's a pinch, it's a pinch. Nothing. You don't feel anything. The first service, they were like, who is your dentist? It's, It's amazing. And I remember the first time I had it done, I said to him, I said, doc, that was almost painless. What is up with that? He said, the issue is that when you, when you do it manually, there's no way to control the flow of the Novocaine. The pain you feel is the Novocaine pressing up against your nerve. Because you can't control it manually. With the computer, it lets it out just gradually enough that it goes ahead and numbs everything up. So the only thing you feel is just that little prick. And then all you feel then is just your gum getting number and number. It's wonderful. Like I said, I, I look forward to it. it just, it's no big deal to me anymore. I used to be terrorized with it. That's what drifting looks like. It happens so slowly, so methodically, that you don't even know what's happening. You adapt. You become numb. And if anyone were to come to you and say, you're drifting, you would say, how dare you? I love Jesus more than I ever did. But anyone that is in touch with Christ knows that you're just becoming a Pharisee that you're very religious, 
And you draw near to the Lord with your mouth and with your lips you give him praise, but your heart is far from him. So what does drifting look like? Well, ironically, that's found in the cause. Drifting is the problem, but the cause of drifting is actually given here as well. And it is in the cause of drifting that you discover what drifting actually looks like. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. How shall we escape if we, say it with me, neglect so great a salvation? What causes drifting? Neglect. What does drifting look like? Neglect. See, I, I can't get my head around the idea of drifting because it's so subjective. But I can wrap my mind around neglect. I know when I've been neglectful. And that same husband may not be able to understand what his wife means when she says we're drifting apart. But when the wife sits down with him and says, when we first were married, this is the way you treated me. When we first got married, this is what you would do for me. These are the things that you would say to me. Then all of a sudden, he doesn't understand drifting, but he does understand that he has neglected the things that brought life to their relationship. And in neglecting those things, he has actually drifted away from her. Folks, when we neglect the Lord, when we neglect our time with him, then we find ourselves drifting our love drifting, our commitment, our passions drifting from the Lord. But specifically, the author said here that it's not just neglecting anything. It's neglecting, did you hear it? So great a salvation. And I'm not going to read it, but if you read chapter 1, it expounds upon the greatness of salvation. And who Jesus is, is the captain of our salvation. And how much more superior he is to every other God or any other Old Testament figure. That he is the great captain of our salvation. And that this salvation is great. And the author of Hebrews is saying, the reason that you are drifting is because you're so wrapped up in the pain and the suffering and persecution that literally you don't even realize that you've neglected the Lord. And in neglecting Him, you're drifting. That your persecution has actually created a current and you've gotten into that current and you're so wrapped up in being persecuted and the pain you're experiencing that you literally don't even realize that you've neglected prayer, you've neglected the things of God, and you're actually drifting away from Him. And folks, that's the same thing that happens with us. Whether it's pain or pleasure, whether it's success or failure, whether it's the good times or the bad times, everything creates a current. And if you're not careful, you can get into that current to a place where you're neglecting your relationship with God and drifting right past Him. We would love to believe that it's only the bad times that people actually neglect God and drift away. But the reality is, you can be so successful in this life that you neglect God and drift away from Him as well. One of the things that I have seen 
by way of illustrating that as a pastor, I've been here long enough now where I have had the opportunity to see some young men and young women grow up and and get married. And it's kind of neat to be a part of that. But I'm going to tell you, it's not anyone specific. I'm just simply saying I've seen this time and time again. A young man, a young woman on fire for God, loved Jesus. You didn't have to ask them to, to do anything. They just were a part of it. They were at the altar seeking God, wanted to pursue the things of the Lord. They were just diligent. There was a fire within them. They wanted to serve God. And then they started dating each other. And as they dated, you started to see him slip a little bit. And it was small, and it was almost understandable, because obviously, if you're going to build a relationship, you're going to make some sacrifices along the way. That's why the Apostle Paul said, though he said, not everybody can hear this, it'd be better if you stay single, because if you're single, all of your attention can be on God. But when you're married, you got to share you know, your life with God and with man, and, and it can be a difficult balance. So you, they, they start dating and they just slip a little bit. And then they get married and they slip a little more. And then they have kids and they slip a little more. And then they get successful and they slip a little more. And then they start having bills because they start buying things. And they have to spend more time at work and they slip a little bit more. And before you know it, that student that just 15 years ago was hungry for God has now become a professional Christian that shows up on Sunday morning and says, Jesus, I love you, and doesn't even realize that they have neglected God and they've fallen away. And there are some of us that in our pain, in our success, In our failures, in our victories, we've created a current where we got into and we didn't even realize that the God who gave us the success is now neglected and we're falling away from him. Folks, can I tell you, this salvation that we have is greater than that. This salvation is great. I wish I had time just to preach on the greatness of this salvation. That Jesus Christ came to this earth. That he took our sins upon himself. Died for us so that we might not only be forgiven of our sin. But that we could be set free from our sin. That we could have everlasting life. That he abides within us by the power of his Holy Spirit. It is a great salvation. Can you give him the praise if you believe that it is a great salvation? But if we neglect this salvation, we'll find ourselves drifting away. To neglect means to treat it carelessly, to be negligent with it, to actually make light of it. And there are many of us, we just make light of it. Christianity is just a, it's a thought. I've often said this. Those of you that have been serving the Lord for, for let's say, 40 years or more, You know what I'm talking about. When we were growing up, church wasn't a part of your life. Church was your life. How many of you remember those days? My social calendar revolved around church. 
I was in Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if we had special meetings, and we had special meetings that went from Sunday to Sunday. I've told you that before. We had Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and it ended on Sunday night. And we didn't get home any night until after 11 o'clock, and we had to get right up and go to school the next morning. I may not have been the greatest student, but by the grace of God, I'm still saved today. Why is it that today church isn't just our whole life? It's a part of our life. We squeeze it in. And we wonder why our families and our marriages are the way that they are. Listen, when you're neglecting the word, you're neglecting the bread of heaven and you're drifting. When you're comfortable hearing the word of God but never actually doing it, you're neglecting it and you're drifting from the Lord. When you're neglecting prayer, you're neglecting time with the Lord and you're drifting. When you're sporadic in coming to church, you're neglecting fellowship with, which is vital to your growth and development and you're drifting from the Lord. When you're more concerned about the opinions of the world than you are about God and your testimony, you're neglecting your relationship with Him and drifting. When going to church becomes a chore rather than a glad privilege, you're drifting. When was the last time you truly felt conviction in your heart and grieved because you knew that you had broken his heart? Because if you're neglecting the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you're drifting. If you find yourself making excuses for behavior you know is not right, you're neglecting the Holy Spirit and you're drifting from the Lord. If you are always promising yourself, this will be the last time, I will never do it again, and you keep doing it, then you're neglecting truthfulness and repentance and you're drifting from the Lord. When you are no longer hungry and thirsty for right living, you're neglecting righteousness and drifting. Folks, I could get much more specific to the point where it would offend some of you. Can I just ask you this? An observation. Who do you think inspired sports on Sunday? Do you think that was God's idea? Why do we feel we can use Sunday for what we want to use it for? God gave us six other days to have our parties, to have our plans, to have our agendas. He asked one day, give it to me. Give the whole day to me. Reflect on my goodness. Prepare yourself to resist the current you're going to experience when your feet hit the ground Monday morning all the way till Saturday. And Sunday I'll encourage you so that you'll resist that current Where did we ever come up with this idea that we can just use his day for what we want to use it for? That's how far we've drifted. How dare we say that we have a tight relationship with the Lord when our marriages are failing right before our very eyes. And we don't humble ourselves to do what we need to do. It's tough, I know. Like I said, these signs are inconvenient. I don't want to stop every time. I want to go right through. And I don't want to have to admit that my very actions have demonstrated I'm drifting from the Lord. But I've got to admit it. 
or suffer the consequences. Can I tell you there's some things that you cannot afford to forget about drifting. Some things you must always remember. Always remember it takes no effort to drift. You don't have to do anything to drift away. And that's why people like drifting. Because I don't have to put any effort in it. Do you know what you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. Just, just live your life any way you want to. You don't have to do anything to be lost for eternity. And you don't have to do anything to drift. You just wake up every morning, read your little devotional, say, Jesus, be with me today. Never consider the heart of God. Just go about your business and drift away from him. You know something else about drifting? It is dangerous to everyone else around you. Folks, you know what? A ship that is drifting in the water is a threat to every other ship that's in the water. And if you think that your drifting isn't affecting anybody else, you are sadly mistaken. Hear me today, folks. Everyone around you that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior is being affected by your drifting. Because if you profess to be a Christian, they look at your drifting and they think that is a fair representation of Christ. The best thing, they're turned off by it and don't embrace it. Because maybe they'll get a better representation somewhere else. But the worst thing that could happen is they actually think that's what being a Christian is and they embrace your brand of Christianity and start out drifting from the Lord. Mom and dad, you think your drifting isn't affecting anybody else, but your children are watching you drift and they're going to follow in your footsteps. Something else that I never thought of before but drifting increases in speed and brings you ultimately to a place of no return. Did you ever think about that? It's not the lazy river. Literally, when you're drifting over time, you are increasing the speed of your drift. And eventually, if you don't stop it, there'll be a place of no return, and that place of no return may come sooner than you think it will. You know, just think about it in the, in the natural sense. Listen, I'm, I'm approaching 50, I've told you that. But even at my age, I know that there are still areas I need to grow in. I need to mature in. Anybody else with me? I know that there are things that I just need to address in my life. And I'm not talking about my walk with God. I'm just talking about day-to-day life. I know that I need to mature more as a manager, as a, as a leader. I know that there are things I need to address. But I don't know about anyone else. It's hard when you're older to turn this old ship around. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? The older you get, the faster time passes by. I've got 49 years of momentum built up. It's hard to dig in your heels and say, no, I've got to be a different man. And the same thing is true in your walk with God is that you have years and years of momentum and drifting and the opportunities are slim that you're going to stop and say, no, I'm going to go differently before God Almighty. And that's why the Bible says, today is the acceptable day. Don't put it off because the longer you drift, the faster you drift, and the further you drift. 
And then always remember, it ends with shipwreck. There is no such thing as a ship drifting safely into harbor. It is going to crash into another ship or it is going to crash into the rocks and be destroyed. You need to understand, you can't drift safely into heaven. This will always end in disaster. And that's what he said in verse 2. For the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. So how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation at the first which began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? How shall we escape? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is, there is no escape. He says, if the word of the Old Testament prophets proved to be steadfast and true, and every act of disobedience and transgression received the consequences, how are we going to escape if we neglect the greater, the more sure word of salvation that was given to us through Jesus Christ? There is no escape. You cannot escape the consequences. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 11 and verses 26 through 28, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. And that last part is more frightening than the first part. Because what he is saying is, you come up to a cross section and you see God's path leading to blessing and you see your path which leads to destruction and because you don't want to do it God's way you harden your heart and you press on your way and you listen go after other gods which you have not known what he's simply saying there is idolatry is a lot easier than you think it is the reality is many of us practice idolatry because in our mind We have invented a God, we call him God, we call him Jesus, and we serve it the way we want to. A God that accommodates the way we want to live, but it's a false God, and it's taking us into destruction. Folks, this is the God we serve, and this is the book that we are going to be judged by. God does not bless or curse anyone. He just says, if you obey me, blessings will naturally overtake you. If you disobey me, cursing will naturally flow into your life. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's amazing to me how many people believe, professing Christians, that they can neglect the word of God and escape the natural consequences in doing so. They just think, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. Before I was a pastor, I was a youth pastor. And throughout my pastoral ministry, I've met many people. And I remember this one young lady that loved the Lord. She started dating an unsaved boy, someone that had not accepted Christ. And maybe more importantly than that, showed absolutely no interest in serving the Lord. And I watched for several weeks. I didn't want to get involved until it was serious. 
And when I saw that they were getting more and more involved, I went to her and I said, listen, I know you're dating this guy and I've met him. He's a nice enough guy, but he wants nothing to do with the Lord. And I said, listen, I'm not going to get into the obvious that we are not to be unequally yoked together like that. That's what the Bible teaches, folks. Thank you for that weak amen today. But we are not to be unequally yoked together. We want to be in the lives of men and women who do not know Christ. We need to. But you don't marry. You don't enter into business relationships. You don't unequally yoke together with those who have not received Christ because they're going in a different direction than you are. And I looked at her and I said, listen, I'm not saying it's an unpardonable sin. I'm not saying that you're sinning against God, but you are in a dangerous place. And I said, here's what I'd like you to consider at your age. You're thinking more about marriage than ever before. For the sake of unborn children, would you consider this? Because you're going to have children, and that's where the issue is going to be. Because you're going to want to raise them in the things of the Lord, but Daddy's going to stay home. And you may be able to take them for a little while, but there's going to come a day when they're going to want to be with Dad. And if you have children, someone who doesn't know the Lord, you have increased the likelihood that they will not know Christ, and you'll put your children in eternal jeopardy. I said, please consider that. She thought she could escape. She got married. And even to this day, years later, is not even serving Jesus Christ. There is no escape from the consequences of violence. And it's not God punishing you. God just says, if you rebel, this is what's going to happen. And there's no escape from it. That's not God cursing you. It's God warning you, stop. Consider this, because this is what's going to happen if you reject my word. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians. We read it last week. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that is what he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. It's the law of the harvest. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Listen, if I drop this Bible, what is going to happen? It's going to fall to the ground because of the law of gravity. Whatever I sow, I will reap. And if I sow obedience to the word of God, I will reap life. But if I sow disobedience... Because I want to satisfy my desires and my wants. My same flesh that I've gratified will reap corruption. It is a certainty. There is no escape. So people will say, well, what do I do now, Pastor Kurt? All right, I'll admit it. I'm drifting. What do I do? Verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest... We drift away. 
When he says we need to give more earnest heed, that's the only thing that will keep you from drifting is to give more earnest heed. When he says that, it means more abundantly, to a greater degree, especially above others. And it means that this great salvation should be heeded and watched and examined above anything else, above anyone else. You need to pay more attention to salvation than you do uh, sports, marriage, politics, your 401k, who didn't say hello to you today? Who said hello to you today? None of that matters because salvation has eternal implications. On that day, you won't care how much money you put away for retirement. The only thing that'll matter is that you were fixed in Jesus Christ. The only way that I can detect drifting at the shore is by keeping my eyes on a fixed position on the beach. And the only way I can detect spiritual drifting is if I keep my eyes on the unchanging word of the living God in Jesus Christ. I've got to keep my life in the word of God and not just reading it, but applying it, obeying it, doing it, even if it's inconvenient. Do it! Because this is the only fixed thing in the universe that I have to hold on to. You know what's interesting is that that word heed is actually used in the nautical sense as well. And it means to moor a ship or to tie it up. What he's saying here is pay attention to the word of God. Tie your life to it. Obey the word because the current of this world is always moving away from God. And if you're not fixed in him naturally and without effort, you'll drift away. Josh, would you come? I want to read these two scriptures and we're done. James 1, verse 6. He said, But when you ask God, when you go to Him in prayer, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. Now there are some translations that use the word doubt instead of waver. It's okay, but waver is actually capturing what he's really saying here. Because when you think of someone wavering, you think of someone that's got to make a decision and they want to please God, but man, they want to do what they want to do. And they know they need to honor God, but man, this is going to really feel good if I do it. And so they can't make a decision. The Old Testament says that they're halted between two positions. They can't make up their mind. And he says that person that's trying to live with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of this world is going to be as unsettled as a wave that is blown and tossed by the wind and is unstable in everything that they do. Christianity cannot be a one foot in and one foot out proposition. You've got to be committed. You've got to be all in and say from the moment that I wake up to the moment I go back to sleep, I'm pursuing the heart of God in all that I do in Jesus' name. Too many of us, we're trying to have our cake and eat it too. How can I please myself and honor God? You can't do it. You've got to go all in with God. We've got to do what it says in Hebrews 6 and verse 19. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Folks, 
we need an anchor. This is our anchor. This is our anchor. This is the only fixed point in the spiritual realm. This is the only thing that changes not. The word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Build your life on the word of God. Live by it. Don't just preach it. Live it. Don't just hear it. Do it. Fix your life on the word of God. It's the anchor in heaven. And you may feel the current going by you every day, but you'll be fixed in Jesus Christ and overcome in Jesus' name. Are you drifting today? Admit it if you are. Don't be condemned. Just admit it. And turn around before it's too late. In Jesus' name. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Just for a moment. I know it's a little late. But just for a moment.